Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. And the Lord be with every one of you. I want to continue. I Every week I say this is it, but at least this week, uh, on, on the radical grace of God. And if Hebrews, Hebrews in chapter 4, and I'll read from verse 14 for context, although we're not going to spend much time at all there, but just, okay, Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it's that last verse that I want to look at. Let us draw near with confidence or boldness to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Very quickly the context, because actually this verse comes in the middle of something much bigger. It has been stating that Jesus is 100% human, mankind. And he is that because God the Son, sent by the love of the Father, has assumed our humanity, become mankind, become a man in Nazareth of the Galilee 2,000 plus years ago, But at the same time, he is humanity. He is mankind. And I cannot emphasize enough because this is the context. He's a genuine, authentic man. He he lives in, he faces life, he looks through our eyes, he thinks through our brain, he imagines through our imagination... He has our body that functions with him as it does with us. He faces the dark world in which we found ourselves. He became flesh, and he became flesh as Adam after the fall. He came and joined us as we are in our brokenness, and in that darkness... He is tempted and he faces real temptation. 
please all those religious pictures that we might have of Jesus with lights around his head and the faraway look in his eye uh, they, they don't cut it Jesus was tempted and we we have just insights here and there into that temptation but it was real maybe more real I would have to say more real because let's face it us humans are used to darkness um, terribly used to it horrifyingly used to it um, I, I remember when living in New York City and breathing the foulest air of pollution um, we were actually not aware of it on most days we were breathing it but we got used to it you see and, and, and that's us, uh, a man outside of Christ for sure, and, and a, a believer um, coming used to the kingdom of God, but still used to sin, used to all the temptation calls to, and, and is not as horrified by the temptation as one who did not sin. Yeah, understand that. It, it, here is Jesus, who in every way is us. He, he's, he faces the same world, the same temptations, but it says never sinned, which means that those temptations were more real to him than those who had become used to living there and now half-heartedly fights them. I hope you see what I'm saying there. Jesus faced the temptation to distrust his heavenly father. He faced the temptation to disobey his heavenly father, to be independent, to do his own thing independently of the father, to walk outside of the love of his father. These are basic temptations that affect many other temptations, and Jesus faced them. And then he... As one of us, he embraced us, the humanity, he, to the point where we have to say that as a concrete fact of scripture and logic, if you follow it through, you and I were included into him and he carried us to death in his death. And we, in all our rebellion of Adam, we died with Christ and we were buried with Christ. Set up your tombstone. It's a fact. That's the foundational fact of the gospel. And the greatest foundational fact of the gospel is that he reversed death, crushed it disassembled it and its author Satan and rose out of death but he rose out as human that's I'm trying to tell you the context here this is what this is all about he, he rose again as human but human as we had never dreamed human to be a human who now has behind him no more possibility of death and no more possibility of falling for temptation. No more. It's forever. It's gone. Buried. Done with. 
and the sin that he bore for us and as us on the cross gone no more consciousness of that it's all gone and remember in the garden of the resurrection he's met by Mary and he said some words that should rock us and I'm biting my tongue to bleeding because I want to talk more about it, but I can't, not here. But he said to Mary, I now ascend to my father. They'd heard that expression many times, my father. But now he adds something, and your father. That is, we, you and I, he said, share common father. We both now sit together and call him Abba, Daddy. And then he said something he'd never said before. Read through all the Gospels. He never said it before. He said, speaking of all the other disciples, he said, go and tell my brothers. Or actually he said, my brethren, which means brothers and sisters. He never said that. He called them friends, disciples. But now something's happened. In that resurrection, he says, you... I mean, feel the finger of God's love pointing at you and saying, you're my brothers and my sisters. And I ascend now to my father and your father. And that's where this word high priest comes in, which I'm not not even going there, except to say the high priest of Israel was the one who embodied in himself all of Israel. He carried precious stones on his shoulder and on his breastplate, each for a tribe. And every family and every person in Israel could point to the high priest and say, I'm there, and I in the high priest am carried into the immediate presence of God once a year. Jesus, our high priest, only this time it's not a precious stone. You and I are in his heart. We're carried in his person and strength. And he carries us into deep heaven. And there, exalted, he is, we call it the ascension. It's that time of year, if you're a liturgical person. It's at this time of year we we celebrate the ascension. Very few people ever mention it, let alone understand it. Uh, But it's the heart of the gospel. That Jesus ascended, which means that he sat down upon the throne of God. And I say deep heaven. It's heaven beyond the heavens. It is the very center of all existence. It is the source of creation. From there emanates the life of all that is. The throne of God in deep heaven and Jesus ascended, which is a word which means he was appointed to because he had won his victory and conquered every enemy of God and man. And now he, the man, Christ Jesus, sits down in the throne of God, the right hand of God. Now, what does that mean? Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Um, I, I, I hope you know, as you sit in front of your computer or listen on your iPod, um, 
that you there are multi thousands of people in this audience sitting right next to you and a few understand what a throne is uh, in the UK you have a much better grasp of it and to a lesser extent Canada or Australia New Zealand a sort of remembrance of days far off the throne but really what does it mean I mean a throne is a big ornate chair yeah but let me let me start here do you know that most of the world does not sit on chairs? Did you know that? I didn't. It never occurred to me until I was preaching in far-flung corners of the earth. And, and when I went to speak, my audience, they were squatting. Um, I can't do it. I can't. I tried but it's something unique to other persons of the world. Uh, and and it, to me, it looks the most uncomfortable position one could ever twist one's body, but they squat like that for hours without moving. And here I am talking. I'm standing and they're squatting by the hundred in front of me. And that's when I realized, and now I began to wake up. I go into their huts and their homes, and, and there are no chairs. Fascinating. Chairs. You see, in ancient times, nobody sat on chairs. You sat or squat on the floor. And any person that had a chair, well, you, you were important. And then the most important of important, they would have a bigger chair and it would be on elevation. And if you were the most important of the most important, and in fact you ruled over all the important and lesser folk, then you'd have a bigger chair and there'd be steps leading up to it. Thrones. Kings sat on these high chairs. And the more powerful they were, and the further their rule extended, so the bigger and the more ornate was their chair. Read the description of Solomon's throne in the scripture. That, that's what it's talking about. It, when you, you sat down upon a throne, good grief, do you hear what he's saying? That you are the most important of important persons, and now you have been, by due authority, recognized by everybody, you've been appointed to sit upon the throne. Not walk around it, not stand beside it, but sit. Which means to take to assume all the dignity and honor and glory and majesty and authority and power that that throne represents. And the king of ancient days was also the judge. He was the supreme court wrapped up in himself. 
and, and betimes would go down to the gate of the city and there was another throne there not as ornate as the central one but a throne and he would sit there and judge that is you would come uh, and w with your civil little bits and pieces of life and the king would judge and so king and judge all wrapped up into the same idea and, and, and now seated you see that we're not talking democracy here you might have noticed there's no parliament you see and, and, and there's certainly no congress it's, it's the king that's the way it was it's the way it was in England till Oliver Cromwell decided he'd had enough of that and that's why the United States became what they did because they left that for a brand new idea of a constitution in the United States well you know that's why I say many people don't know what this means because they were never raised within it I lived in this I lived in the consciousness of the throne of Queen Elizabeth in London I was there when she ascended the throne you see, we use those terms, and, uh, and I, 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 I was there watching her going through the streets with acclaim because she's now sat upon the throne of the British Empire of those days, long gone, but you see, it's, it's a place of rule. Out from there goes the rule of the king, the way things are. And in the days of the Bible, you didn't argue with the throne. In fact, you were terrified of the throne because 99.999% of persons who sat upon a throne were cruel despots. They were dictators with no one who dare contradict them. You dare not even come near the throne unless invited. And whatever character sat upon the throne, that character fashioned the way things were. The word he spoke from the throne filtered down. That's the way it was then on the streets. He, he fashioned the whole empire by who he was. Okay, that's the language of the New Testament because that was the way things were in those days. And... Did you just hear what I said five minutes ago? Jesus, the God of limitless humility, God, creator, became mankind and carried this broken, chaotic, darkened mess of mankind to death in order to raise mankind in him, with him, and he ascends. He goes, and it notice, uh, as I read that, did you, he ascended through the heavens, plural. He goes through the heavens of the sky, he goes through the heavens of the powers of darkness, the heavens of the angels, he goes to what I call deep heaven the source and center of all. And there, the man, your brother, my brother, that's what the context is saying, sat down. Sat down. He's assumed the throne of the universe, all universes, universe of mankind, 
universe of fish and animals and birds and insects, the universe of outer space, the universe of demons and devil and the universe of angels. He is none greater than him. And Ephesians 1 tries to put it into words. He said he ascended far above, and that's a sound word. It's not just far above. The only way you can hear what it's really saying is to sound it far above, as if all enemies would seek to touch him, but they can't get near him. He's far above. Talk about six steps to the phone. <laughs> this is an infinite. He's above and beyond, and every enemy under his feet far above all principalities and powers every name that was named don't bring up the name of any king any president any emperor the name of jesus is far above that's what he'd say he sat down he ascended he, he came into the throne Philippians 2 said to him was given a name which is above every name that at the name Jesus every knee should bow every tongue confess he is Lord this is Jesus and remember before he visibly left this planet he called his disciple brothers together and said, All authority, all, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. It's the throne, it's ultimate power. Some people, they, they based sort of on this, they, they, they talk a lot about the sovereignty. In fact, you... You, if you're going to start talking about God, they'll talk of his sovereignty first and talk about the, the sovereign rule. Well, yeah, of course, <laughs> he's sovereign. The, the one I have just described is sovereign. He's over all. And it's his pleasure and his desire and design that shapes the whole of his rule. Yes, I believe in his sovereignty, of course, his ultimate power, ultimate authority. But hold it, back off, back off. If you're just left with sovereignty, you are back there in these despots of the world of the Bible, the Nebuchadnezzars, the Belteshazzars, the kings of Nineveh, Assyria, you know, Darius, Cyrus, Ahasuerus, Artaxerxes. You, you, you've read them all in the Old Testament. They, people tremble because they're sovereign. They can do what they want. And I cower before them. I stand in awe of this exalted human. So be careful when you use that term. And be shocked that it says that this is the throne of of grace good lord we've never heard of that yes he is sovereign he does what he wills read ephesians 1 it speaks again and again that he did it by his sheer the pleasure the pleasure of god the 
pleasure of the glory of his grace, the pleasure of his kindness. It, it says, says, no, you don't ask God, why did you do this? He did it because he jolly well wanted to. He's sovereign. But what does he want? He wants to be who he is. Every decision he makes in his sovereignty is according with who he is. Infinite love, which expresses in infinite grace. It's safe. We don't grovel before the throne of God and his Christ. We come to the throne of grace, love in dynamic action. His smile of delight that radiates from his presence. His pleasure in us humankind as he lavishes us with love and grace. I, I suppose you could say that um, as you become aware of the kingdom of God and your eyes are opened, you, you see a sign here. Take note, you, you've entered a grace zone beyond this point, you know. There, there's, you don't bring any of your formulas or your resumes or your works. No religion permitted beyond this point. It's a grace zone that emanates from the throne of grace. Grace. We, we've been talking about this now for I don't know how many weeks, and so... Uh, I, I trust that you, you know that grace is a million times more than unmerited favor. Grace, grace. But, well, bottom line is grace means not do because it's done. Grace means it's done. Grace exploded into human history in its fullness at the cry of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. It's done. You can't lift a little finger to add anything to that. You dare not. You cannot. That would be ultimate blasphemy. That is to trample all that Jesus did underfoot. No, it's done. When God becomes human in order to accomplish human salvation and says it's finished, believe me, it's finished. It's grace. And this throne is the rule of the ascended Jesus implementing this incredible message. It's done. It's finished. And within the realm of his kingdom, that's the way it is you see so so we we come to the throne of grace but not as every human being thought you would come to a throne not in fact as religion has painted it we we, we don't come to nebuchadnezzar and tremble and, and grovel at the bottom of the steps of the throne and although perhaps maybe oh great nebuchadnezzar you'll listen and i hope you won't cut off my head before i'm finished we don't grovel it's a throne of grace 
we come and we realize that we are in the embrace of love. We, we've entered into the words of Jesus that in Jesus, through Jesus, we call God our Father, our Abba, Daddy, Papa, with the same word that Jesus used. And as we are there in the embrace of love, we hear him call us his brother, his sister. I, I know that I'm, in order in looking at this, I read some of the books I have uh, and, and just to see again what they're saying. And, uh, and it, it's, it's sheer terror. People believe, you know, it's, it's I'm bent over, I daren't look up, I, I, I'm bent before God, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm no good. Have mercy upon me. Look, I know, I think I know what you're trying to say. I think, but you're saying it disregarding this, and I'll say it, crazy love that God has for us. You sound more like the elder brother in the parable than you do the father. Look, when Jesus rose from the dead and he ascends the throne to become this highest, all-powerful, all-authoritative name person in the universe, that his will be done. What's the first act? And please hear me, this is so important. The first act of this person we're talking of, the one who sits on the throne, he's not demanding we grovel at his feet. He's walking down a road to Emmaus and he looks like a dusty traveler. Or later that night, and this really uh, takes it, he, he appears among them. And, and I mean, they're stunned. They, they, they could well just collapse in groveling awe. And anyway, a few hours ago, they all had forsaken him and, and run for their lives. And so, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking when they suddenly see him. But you, what's his first words? I mean, listen, stand on tiptoe. This one that we're talking of is about to speak. What does he say? Do you have something to eat? And they bring him the leftovers from supper. Come, come on, we're supposed to be groveling in fear at the base of the throne. No, he's invited us into the throne and he's eating leftovers because he so wants to fellowship with us. <laughs> and when Peter, in Acts chapter 10, I believe, sums up to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, uh, what... what had happened in those days when Jesus rose from that he sums it up in 
just one sentence. He says, we ate and we drank with him for six weeks. We ate and we drank. We, we had a fun time. We, we had intimate covenant meals together. We ate and drank with him. And when Jesus called upon the church in Laodicea, you remember the one that everybody knows, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about that. But if any man hear my voice, open the door. What, have you, the rest of it? I will come in and sup with him which means to have the evening meal which could stretch on into the late hours they'd got nothing else to do and and so it was the meal of fellowship the meal of sharing and fun so jesus described his relationship oh please i i know that you seek to exalt his majesty but you put him out of reach You've made him so remote. You've made him so other than us. Whereas the Jesus who sits upon the throne of the universe is a throne of grace. And he loves us and he likes us. And to worship him is to exalt his love by responding to it. Grace. Grace in itself, this gifting of God, this this love that gives us his very self, is in itself light. Grace opens our eyes. <laughs> Shocking. And it's the people who are shocked at this love that he has for us, this genuine love, the kind of love we can understand. They call it radical. Well, it is. It's radical meaning that which is to do with the root. Well, yeah, the very root of God, as God has revealed himself, is this kind of love and, and grace that he gives himself to us. It's revealing. And it's not just words. Grace is the empowering gift of God. For grace is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit empowering us and so it's not just that God loves us it's God's love that actually enters our lives is active in us now it's it's the empowering kindness goodness it's the empowering strength of God toward you and in you it is the actual rising within of the joy of God, for that is one of the meanings of grace. It, it's it's the delight of Father and Son and Holy Spirit in you. He loves, he delights in you. His delight is to see the smile of his joy on your face, to favor, to bless, to heal. Heal us not only in our inmost spirit, but our mind, our emotions every cell of our body but grace oh this is are there words for this grace exalts us the gift of God to us who is Jesus and the Holy Spirit that gift also exalts us when a person of 
great importance gives us a gift the fact that person gave us a gift does something to us in terms of our status that we are now by gift bonded to that person do you follow that well God creator savior God God incarnate, God in the womb of the Virgin, God coming out of the tomb in the person of Jesus, gives himself to you. And that exalts you. Yes, there. I know it's hard to say if you're religious, but it does. And it's not just for the elite. This isn't some second, fourth, fifth blessing. This isn't something that happens after you've done every hoop in religion's toolbox. No, this is for you. You, whoever hears my words, it's for you. Grace brings with it the authorization to live comfortably in his love and delight and to live comfortably knowing his love in you goes through you. But could I take it one step further? And It's all there in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. It says that this gift is so incredible he didn't only carry you to death. He didn't only raise you from that death to a newness of life, but it says, it says that we are now seated with Christ in deep heaven. When he sat on the throne of the universe, he scooted over and says, there's room for you. You share my dignity, my glory. Can I, I can we can we take that in? That at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lips, bursting from our heart, even demons tremble before us. We speak from him who is our life, and we live his life on earth. So as the scripture says, as he is, so are we in this earth. Oh, no, we, we don't cower before the throne of God. We are seated. What, what a gift is this? We're seated with him. Because, says Romans 8, who is this judge that condemns you? Says Paul, I'll tell you who he is. He's the one who died for you, who was raised and carries you with him. And, and he who spared not his only son, Shall he not with him freely give you all things? Can anything separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Ha! Radical grace. You bet. But then, we are called to respond. This is so important. You see... All manipulation, control, coercion comes from the dark side. Love never manipulates. 
love never controls you. All that, they're words from another, another side, not God. He never gate crashes us. He never forces choice upon us. He just reveals who he is. He showers himself upon us. And so therefore it says, well it says in verse 16 what we're trying to talk about, it says therefore, therefore. And you know, whenever you read that word therefore, it means this is a summation. It's because of all that I've said before, therefore. It's when you've drawn the line, added up the sum, therefore. What do we do then? If, if, if this is what God has done, well, therefore, let us draw near, or come, draw near, come. We make a response, we come, we draw near. That is a call to make a choice. See, I know gazillion times we would prefer God did make the choice for us. Sometimes being a puppet looks a jolly good idea. But we are called to such a high, the dizzy heights of walking in Christ and Christ in us. This is all part of the gift that we are set free and we are called to choose and, and not just once but the tense there, the, the actual Greek words is let us be coming. It, it, it's, it's the idea, let us draw near and draw near again and draw near again. Let us be in the process continually of drawing near, of coming. It's, it's a choice that continues to choose. Because one choice doesn't mean I've chosen to let God manipulate me. No. He forever. We are talking about a relationship, not a puppeteer. And relationship demands freedom. And freedom demands choices and consequences. We choose. We choose to come. We choose to draw near to this throne of grace. We choose to be present to him who is continually present to us. Come, draw near. The word means, well, in any language it means that if, if you come to me, if you draw near to me, then you've left something to draw near to me. And this word has in it the idea of coming to an allegiance. You're, you're coming to stand with me. In fact, there, there is um, usage of the word outside of Scripture. It, it can mean to link arms with another. You, you leave that and you come here to link arms with me or with whatever you've come to. 
It's very interesting. In, in the story of the prodigal son, do you remember the prodigal son in the far country? It says, he came to himself. <laughs> That's a terrifying thought. He came to himself as if to the edge of a garbage dump and he looked over at himself and he shuddered to the roots of his being and he said, I have sinned against heaven and in your son, I am no more worthy to be called your son. Count me out of the family. I'm no good. I'm unworthy. I'm trash. And I want to make a deal with you, the one who once was father, but now I've divorced myself. I'm no longer worthy of that. But is it possible that you could see fit that perhaps once or twice a year you could make me as a hired servant? One that you use when you've got extra special work at the ranch. Could you, could you come and hire me for a day? Of course, that's, that's all you'll ever get if you come to yourself. When the elder brother came to himself, because he, he apparently was quite used to that, only he, he chose to see um, what a fantastic fellow he was. Only he still saw himself in exactly the same way as his younger brother. He said, all these years I have, and in your Bibles it says, served you. But the word there in the language Jesus spoke is, all these years I have been your slave. He said, I've been all over this ranch, do this, do that, go here, go there. I've done your will. A slave for you, and you never gave me anything. And the victim of your indifference toward me. Come to yourself. Some people think that's going to church. That's how you feel when you come out of church on a Sunday. Unworthy, miserable. You, you've, you've done your, your weekly grovel. Now forget that for six days. No. No, when he came to himself, that's not the high point of the story. I know many evangelists say it is, but it isn't. The high point of the story is when the father completely ignored the son's opinion of himself. The father did not even debate what the son had seen when he came to himself. For the father had a very different opinion and said, you are my son. And he addressed him as this son of mine. And he says, well, yes, you might have been lost, but forget that. That's over. You're found. You might indeed have been dead to my love, but forget that. It's over. You are alive, resurrected. And immediately proceeded to dress him as the most honored son of the family. And remember to that elder brother, when the elder brother is vomiting all of that out in his rage at the love of his father, the father ignores it and says, and the original language there is 
dear son of mine, my dear son, almost more emphasis than to the other son, though though not, but the language is, is most intense. My dear, my dear son, my loved son, all that I have is yours. Does that creep? God says, come, come into my opinion of my sons. See how I look at them. Stop this religious nonsense of coming to yourself outside of the opinion of God revealed in Jesus concerning you. Come to the throne of grace, not to yourself. Come away from yourself with all its mistakes and all the failure and all the chaos and all the mess and pain and hurt. Come. Come to the throne of grace and hear the Father embrace you and say, you are my child. You were lost, but in Jesus Christ you're found. You were dead, but in Jesus you're resurrected, you're ascended, and you sit in Christ with me in the throne. Continually, he says, continually becoming. It's not a one-time act. I know you got saved 40 years ago, thank God, but I trust you are in the mode of coming and coming and coming until all that filth of religion of unworthy unworthy and I'm no good and make me a slave wash it away through the blood of Jesus I, I was born in North London in England a place called St. Albans and, and um, it, it's, it's the, the site where the first martyr uh, of the English church great story all by itself but he was part of the Roman garrison there which was called Verulanium and my house we backed on to the walls of that ancient uh, Roman garrison Verulanium um, I know that sounds crazy to some Americans but in England we don't knock things down after 10 years <laughs> and and those walls stood there for 2,000 years. They were being built just after Jesus, and, and they're still there today. At least I think they are. But, but I, I played on them. I, I crawled over those ancient ruins. And as I became older, I, I saw the stones. It's fascinating. The stones, I mean, they've been pressing on each other for 2,000 years, and they'd almost become one. It was hard to find the space between. They, they sort of morphed into each other. That, that's sort of this. We, we come and we come. I mean, I, I, I'm coming to the throne of grace right now. I'm talking to you from the very center of the blazing light and power and strength and wisdom of grace. You see, you see we're, we're coming. And, and I, I walk out of here and I, I face a situation and I, I realize I draw near to the center of my existence, grace in Christ Jesus. You, you never stop coming until it, union is a relational reality. Yes, you choose to come. 
You never debate it. You don't debate God. Well, I think about that. No, you don't. Come. Come to the throne of grace. Come and nestle down in God's love and the limitless grace toward you. Then start thinking from within the grace, within the experience of the grace. Oh, we, we love education. We want to do Bible studies on top. Give me all colored pencils so I can color my Bible and study and study. And if I can get a certificate to say I've passed another exam and... You know, it's, it's not intellect, it's relationship. It's not being educated about Jesus, it's knowing him, experience. Because all of this happens in the Holy Spirit. There's no, no limit to this grace. You never say, well, I've got it. It's a life that ever opens up to us and opens up and opens up. There's no limit. This isn't a special sale, you see. It isn't that you, you know, I heard it, somebody said, I, I'm going to wherever, because that's where the revival is. Huh. Okay, I guess there's a special sale on in, in Los Angeles or something. No, you know, you, it isn't, you know, you're, you're allowed a special item on sale, you know, one, one item per customer. This is grace. Wow, grace. I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it. Oh, I went to the sale. No. The Bible speaks in Acts, I think it's 13, of, well, I think in our Bibles it says, great grace was upon them all. The word in the Greek there is what we, we now use it in English. It says, mega grace was upon them all. Um, yeah, the the little tiny piece of grace you saw when you first said Jesus is Lord as we continually draw near and come to the throne of grace our lives become mega grace what's it saying if Romans 5 where it says where sin abounded grace did much more abound it overflowed swallowed up sin that, that continues to happen in our lives where we face areas of weakness, where we face impasse, where we face challenge and opportunity, grace abounds. More grace and more grace. Well, I'm almost done, though we could spend another... doesn't matter. It says we come boldly. That is a big word in the New Testament. It deserves a whole hour on itself. But quickly... The word bold in the scripture, you'll find it all over the New Testament. It's something unique to this new creation. We are bold. It means the complete freedom of speech that is the privilege of a citizen. It's part of the Greek culture, but it was in their language. It meant real freedom of speech. It meant then there's no fear of being silenced. I can say absolutely what I want. I'm not afraid of being silenced. No, no police are going to come and arrest me for saying the wrong thing. Nor will anybody despise me. They'll actually acclaim me because I'm celebrating our right of free speech. Do you remember the days when that was... Tr well, I won't go there. Um, free, free speech, but also... 
um, boldness, this freedom of speech, meant no shame. I don't cower there and say, well, I'm, 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 you see, I'm not really worthy to say anything. Yes, you are. You're a citizen, said the Greek, uh, you, without shame, without feelings of unworthiness. And, and there's, when you say this word bold, you cannot include in it the idea that whining. You know what I mean? It's sort of the homeless whining, you know, holding up a piece of torn cardboard and saying, I will work for a dime, you know, please. Uh, and and if, if you're in New York City, the panhandlers, you know, you got a dime, you got a dime. No, that that is the reverse of this. Why do I bring that up? Huh. Ever been to some prayer meetings in the church? Why is it? And only those who have a very religious background know what I'm talking about here. But why is it that when it comes to prayer, multitudes of Christians adopt a different tone of voice? Have you noticed it? They're nice chaps when they're talking at the back of the church. And then when it comes to prayer, they adopt this idiotic whining to their voice. And, and, ay, ay, ay. What? They, it's, I'm unworthy, you see. I'm not, oh, if it please you, if you really. No. This is, this is bold. It means, in England, we had the expression brass neck. I mean, it's in your face. It's without shame, without fear. It is absolute confidence in the truth of what I'm saying and of my rights. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Stop your whining. Stop your... Well, I was going to say stop your tears. I don't want to altogether say that because some tears are inspired of the Spirit, but too many are actor tears. They belong on Broadway because they're just trying to sound spiritual. There's a boldness, there's a holy familiarity. Remember, you're not cowering in the dust at the bottom of the stairs before this God. You're seated with him and you're talking in Christ to the Holy Trinity. Boldly. You're looking farther in the face and you're being absorbed into his smile. Some of you might not remember when... John F. Kennedy was president, but in his early days as president, there were pictures of the little toddler, his child, in the Oval Office playing under the desk while he's doing international stuff. It was the perfect picture of what this means. We, we're the brothers and sisters of Jesus and we share by sheer grace with him who by eternal right says, Father, we now join with him and say, Father, bold. It's a boldness excited by the Holy Spirit. Let me quickly say this. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. That is, you can't separate branches and vine. They're not two separate entities. There's an organic union there. 
Then he says that he's the head, we are the body. Even more so, you can't separate body and head. What am I saying? I'm saying that your union with Jesus has is so done that if you're not welcome in a place, Jesus can't go there. Did you hear that? If you're not welcome, Jesus can't go there because any more than if a person doesn't want my body, I can't send my head in. We go together. And the reverse is true. Wherever Jesus is welcomed, I am welcomed in it in his welcome because he's a head and the body we go together bold I am in the father's presence sharing with Jesus assurance sharing the limitless love the father has for him and for me and for you in the Old Testament, anticipating this, it says that we have been delivered to walk erect. We walk knowing who we are. Before God the Father, in our union with Christ through the Holy Spirit, and that translates into our work. We no longer go around looking as if we're mice. We look like the men we are. So come. He says, come, make the choice, do it, draw near, do it right now, because as I said, that's where I am in my speaking, so come with me in Christ, with all your multi-thousands of brothers and sisters who are watching right now, come, draw near, be present to him who is present to you, and it says the result, and I've got a not talk about this just say it that you will receive mercy uh, and and mercy is not that you're excused for what you're doing nor is it I'm sorry for you mercy is that strong covenant word of the love of God in action rescuing you bringing you to your full covenant privileges but it says you'll find grace you receive mercy, you'll find grace. And interestingly, the word grace there in the language of the Bible, the Greek, it's emphatic. We can't do that in English except sounding it. But, but it, it says that you will find grace. As if to say, what else do you think you'd find? You're coming to the throne of grace. You're going to find grace for sure, but you're only going to find grace. You won't get anything. There's no judgment, no condemnation, no accusation, no list of rules to perform. You'll receive the embrace of the gift upon gift upon gift upon gift. That's what you'll find. Find it. Interesting word. Find it. As if I came asking for this and I found this. You're always surprised by grace. It's always fantastically bigger than you ever thought. And he says, find grace to help in time of need. And the original language there, and why they didn't just leave it, I don't know, but it means seasonable help. That is 
you will find the grace, the gift, the strength, the wisdom, whatever you need in season. If, if the season you're living in is a certain kind of temptation, you'll find the grace in season. It will exactly fit you where you are. Exactly. It's, it's custom made for the moment. If you are overwhelmed with joy right now, you'll find grace because it takes grace to be joyous. You'll find the grace to walk through the time of joy without losing yourself in pride. You'll, you'll, you'll find it all custom-made, unique to you, perfect. Well, I'm over time, and so I'm just going to leave it there. Do it. Draw near with divinely authorized boldness to the throne, the exalted place in all universes, but the, the person, the place, the throne of grace. And as you draw near there, celebrating your union with him, you're going to receive mercy. Or oh, like a washing river. But also you're going to find more than you bargained for. Grace upon grace upon grace. And now the blessing of the God of all grace, the God who is love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he grant to you a baptism into grace, an awareness of that grace through the Holy Spirit, enlightenment of eyes. May you be empowered by that empowering presence. May you realize the exaltation that is yours in Jesus. May you walk authorized to live this life to the full. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is.